Welcome to On Course, the teaching ministry of Pastor Hart Ramsey, where we offer simple biblical insight into some of life's most pressing issues. What have I told you that a lot of the pain and difficulty and adversity you're experiencing is simply God aligning your now so you could be prepared for your tomorrow. Prepare for the next few minutes to be encouraged, enlightened, and inspired. Let's join Pastor Ramsey and get on course. It is the center of the world. It is the power seat of the Roman government or the Roman Empire. At this time, Rome runs everything. In chapter one, he opens the book by greeting the people and telling them, in no uncertain terms, that the just must live by faith. And then he lays out for them the existing condition of the Roman Empire. In chapter 2, he talks about God's judgment and that how the Jews and Gentiles alike are subject to God's judgment because we're all guilty. Chapter 3, he talks to them about God's right to judge and he introduces them to the faith life. This is how living by faith looks. In chapter 4, Abraham is presented as a model of faith. He moves from chapter 5, he introduces us to Jesus Christ as God's merciful alternative to all that we are facing, especially the judgment of God. In chapter 6, he shows us God's order for breaking the power of sin or sin's control over our lives. In chapter 7, he introduces us to the internal struggle between my old mind and my new life. Anybody familiar with that struggle? Mm-hmm. In chapter 8, he gives us God's provision for becoming sons of God. He tells us that there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us how to manage our minds, how to meditate and focus to become either a spiritual person or a carnal person. From chapter nine, chapters 9 through 11, he talks about Israel's rejection of God and God's plan for the restoration. Now in chapter 12, he begins by saying, I beseech you, I beg of you, brethren, in view of all the aforementioned mercies of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, don't fall for the peer pressure, but be transformed by the entire renovation of your mental complex. Your Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the purpose that he gives for this, he said, is so that you'll be qualified and able to prove or to put to the test what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The Apostle Paul simply said, if my mind is not renewed, I will not know the overarching plan of God for my life, the general will of God or the specific will of God. There is no way to know the will of God if you think like the old you. How many of you in this room today need to know what the will of God is for your life? Amen. That's the consensus. And so what we want to do is I want to take you through God's plan. We're talking about walking by faith, but I want to show you how meditation plays into that. Amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. In, in the scripture, the, the text is very clear, and I'm going to do my best to not be before you long. And every time I say that, I get this little uh, rebuttal from you as if you don't believe me. The objective of renewing the mind, as we said, is so that belie the believer can properly distinguish and comprehend what the will of God is and then choose the proper course of action. A lot of what's happening in our lives is, is, the, is supposed to be the product of my choices. Everybody say the word choices, choices. But, uh, but what I found is that there, there are many believers who get into, matter of fact, go in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. I want to introduce you to why it's important for you to renew your mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, Paul says the just shall live by faith. 
in Hebrews chapter 10. Again, the writer of Hebrews says the just shall live by faith. You go back uh, uh, into the Old Testament, it's mentioned the just shall live by faith. God says people who are justified, who have relationship with him, have to live by faith. Now, what you must understand is that faith is not like sight. Most of the world, matter of fact, people in the world live by what they see. They make decisions based on what's around them, the situation, the circumstances. They live by sight. Amen? But the will of God for us is to live by the things he shows us in his word. The word of God becomes our picture, in, or our window, if you will, to the invisible realm. It's our window to the invisible realm. God has things for us. The Bible says that we are, have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in high places, in heavenly places. Well, they do us no good in heaven. We need them here on the earth. And so faith becomes a conduit by which I get the, the resources of God down here to the earth. But I've got to change the way I think about these things. Look at, look at the scripture, Deuteronomy 30 and 19. God says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. A better translation is to witness this day against you that I've set before you life and death. I've set before you life and death. And he goes on to say blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that, thou, but that both thou and thy seed may live. Now, understand this. The Bible says that life will not come to you automatically. You have to choose it. You have to choose it. And so many of us, watch this now, our minds are so highly developed in negative thinking, in, in, in pessimism, in, in, um, in worry and anxiety that we, we fail so many times. You are the guy. You are the, 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 uh, the baseball player that's, that's in a slump. You're the football receiver that, that has dropped the ball so many times. You're wide open, but you still don't want the quarterback to throw you the ball. You fail so much that you expect to fail and you stop choosing life. So here you are standing in the death line with all the unbelievers expecting death. If anytime something comes up, an opportunity, you expect to fail. You're over in the death line. When God says it's as simple as just choosing life. It's as simple as choosing life. Choosing life. I, I know your track record. I, I, to, to some degree, I, I, I can feel that. You, you, you failed enough and you've, you've been disappointed enough and things didn't work out the way you expect them to. Even in church, you say, in church, you know, I thought the word was going to work like this and it didn't. And so when the doctor says, you know, you're sick or whatever, you just, you just do what you can. Because your mind is caught adrift in negative thinking. So how do I choose life from this place? We, we hear the term meditation, and most of the times when you hear meditation, you think of some psychological Eastern mysticism that we got from the Middle East. And the truth of the matter is, um, you, what you must understand about the Bible is that the Bible's been around long enough where, as a matter of fact, the Bible is an Eastern book. It's been around long enough where there are many people groups who have, who have gleaned principles from it but don't believe in the God of it. So they've stolen concepts and principles from the Bible, and they've used them to benefit themselves. Now watch this. If they illegally take this concept or this principle of meditation and get it to work for them, I've seen, I've seen a video of where, where people have actually summoned illegitimate spiritual power through meditation and levitated off the ground. They could, they could pull the demonic into their life through meditation, but you can't get God to do what he wants to do? It says to me 
that, that what, what we have done is that we have disengaged our wills from choosing life. Now, let me, let, me, let me draw you a picture of how you're designed. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that I know right well. The way God designed you is incredible. Number one, you were designed to live in this earth. Physically, spiritually, you were designed to live in this earth. Number two, your design says that, that you have to engage yourself in something for it to work for you. It won't just happen for you. You got it? You have been given four magnifiers. Write this down. You have four magnifiers. The scripture of David said, I'm I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He understands that God has designed me in such a way where I could could make things bigger or I could make them smaller. I'm going to do my best to keep this in order because I could be be, um, buckshot today all over the place because this is in me. Amen? What we have to understand is we, we are designed with magnifiers. David prayed this. He said, or he, or he asked this question. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. He, there was an invitation. Let us just exalt his name together. Think about this. How much bigger can God get? I mean, think about this. He's saying magnify the Lord with me. It's not like the Lord is this little person. God is God. As a matter of fact, when you read the scripture, if you understand the, the, um, the premise of scripture, scripture is saying that really everything that exists is in God. We are in him. You know, you think, our, our concept is when, when God relates to man, God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So you think God is some person sitting up on a, a, a chair up in heaven, and you, what you don't understand is God is bigger than we could imagine. We are in him. In him we live and move and have a, he is huge. People ask, where did God come from? Wrong question. You'll never be able to get that answer. The better question is, how was God able to make us? And then choose to reduce himself so we can relate to him. God always is. We can't even say he was. Because really, God God gave us time. He gave time to us so we could measure our existence. He has no use for time. Time does him no good. He's eternal. Immortal. Invisible. He don't need eyes. He uses these terms, the eyes of the Lord. God really, think about it. God, what God does, he conceptualizes uh, for us what he is. So he gave you eyes to relate to his ability to point things out. You think God really have physical hands? Come on. But he, he gave you hands so you could identify with touch and grasp and control. But God is so huge, yet David prays, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt. How do you magnify God? I understand if you were some little thing, you set him on a desk and then you, you, you put him under a microscope. I can see that. I can understand if he's a far person and you use a telescope, but how do you magnify the Lord? See, what David understood about humanity that we need to grasp is that we have the ability to shrink and magnify things. Sometimes, watch this now, you will take a little thing and make it huge and take a huge thing and make it small and wonder why you're in the death line when life is available. Now, as, as, I, as I contemplate the time factor in this, I, I know I can't go into a whole lot of detail, but I want to give you this. I want, to, I want to start out by giving you your four magnifiers. God has given you four magnifiers. Whatever you see on a consistent basis, whatever you hear on a consistent basis, whatever you say on a consistent basis, and whatever you think about on a consistent basis becomes huge to you. It doesn't have to be huge in and of itself. 
I, I, studied, I studied meditation for a long time because um, one of my mentors was big on meditation, so I wanted to know what God said about it, and the thing I discovered was just, just breathtaking. You are who you are because of your meditative practices. You are who you are by, because of the way you use your ability to magnify, and you could disown it or downplay it if you want to. You don't have to cut it on and cut it off. It's working all the time. All your phobias and your fears are the product of your magnifiers. I, I remember oh, when, when, I, when I first came to the city, I hired some staff, and I realized that there were a good portion of my staff had never flown before. I, I was, I came, how old are you? You've never been on a plane? No, never been on a plane. Why? Be, and their minds, the, the consensus was, most of the people who had never flown said, I just know that if I get into a plane, it's going to fall out the sky. No, I, I was told that so many times. How many of you have ever, watch this, how many of you ever, be honest, you in church, how many of you have never been on a plane? Put your hand up. Look around, everybody look around, look around, look around, look around, look around. Okay, now, watch this. Here's the problem with that. That's unusual. That is unusual. Say, I ain't going to need to fly. Yes, you do. Everybody going to need to fly. The thing is, you have magnified the danger of flying over the convenience. And it has governed your life. So you'll drive 14 hours when you can fly too. No, that's, that's, that's okay. But if you translate hours into years, and because of what you're meditating on, listen to this, you're taking 14 years to do something when it should have taken you two. Now it's not so funny. Because of what I magnify. You see, Pastor, well, I don't meditate. Yes, you do. You see, but you're so highly developed, as I said, in negative meditation, in pessimism. You always see the thing going wrong. Well, I'm just planning for failure. Well, there you go. Do you know it, is, it, is, it takes the same amount of energy to plan for success as it does to plan for failure? Your success strategy should have a, a, a provision in there in case things go wrong. But you shouldn't plan for failure. You plan for success. Watch this. If you don't plan to succeed, you'll fail anyway. If you plan to fail, you fail anyway. If you plan to succeed and your plan is wrong, you're going to fail. That's three opportunities to fail. But you only have one to succeed. That's you got to choose it and pursue it. But you spend all your time on your failure contingency plan. All you meditate is failure. Stay tuned for more of today's teaching with Pastor Art Ramsey. Imagine being filled with a peace so deep that the world around you can't touch it. Pastor Hart Ramsey is on a mission to help believers understand what it means to have a healthy, prayer-based relationship with God. He's doing that through his brand new book titled Seeking Answers, Finding Rest Through Prayer. Prayer at first was a struggle because, you know, it, it really takes faith to pray. You have to, you have to trust that God is like a person, he's a real person, and that he's the one that invented the concept of prayer. In this book, you'll learn how to ensure your relationship with God is based on a new and improved covenant, which dangerous prayer habits to avoid, and what to do when prayer doesn't yield the answers you want. It's time to trust God enough to make your prayer life truly about Him. Yes. Pick up your copy of Seeking Answers, Finding Rest Through Prayer from Hart Ramsey, available now at Amazon, iTunes, and wherever books are sold. Why, yeah! 
Have you subscribed to Hart Ramsey's Uplift? It's his national text message service where daily you can hear from the heart of God by way of the man of God, Pastor Hart Ramsey. To receive this daily encouragement, text the word Uplift to the number 334-310-4278. Again, text the word Uplift to the number 334-310-4278. Uplift your spirit, encourage your heart, and empower your walk. Subscribe today to Heart Ramsey's Uplift. Stay connected with Pastor Hart Ramsey on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hart Ramsey. Now let's get back to today's teaching with Pastor Hart Ramsey. Some things have to be pointed out because we'll never just notice them. So someone got to point it out. And so I get, I get to be the pointer outer today. <laughs> now, we said the objective of renewing the mind is so that the believer can properly distinguish and comprehend what the will of God is and then choose the proper course of action. The central focus of our lives should be to know the Lord and to please him. The more I think like him, the more I will know him. Now get this, the word choose means to prefer, to select, or to pick out. Go in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Moses has walked with God for now 40 years. Joshua has been his servant for 40 years. In the Old Testament, everything is presented as a picture. The picture of a servant is someone pouring water, someone with a picture of water pouring it on the hands of another. And so the servant is the one who pours the hand on his ma- pours the water rather on his master's hand. Joshua has walked with Moses for 40 years. He's been in proximity with Moses when God is uh, when Moses encounters God. God has spoken to, to uh, Moses in Joshua's hearing, but God never spoke to Joshua. Moses, unfortunately is, is um, provoked into striking the rock, breaking the rules of God, and God now leads him to Mount Nebo, and they go up to Mount Nebo. God points out all of the lay of the land and how it's going to be divided among the children of Israel. But why is God doing this? Because Moses is not going to go into the promised land. So God gives him a preview. He says, Dan is going to be here. Naphtali will be there. Um, we, have, we have Manasseh over here. Judah will be over here. And God is pointing out, and God shows him the whole thing. Moses said, I understand. Good plan, Lord. I, I like that. And God says, now, now, about the issue between us. Joshua is going to lead the people and you can't go in. And so take your journey, head in this direction. God said, I'll walk with you until you die. When you die, God says, I'll receive your spirit. I'll bury your body. Your body cannot be discovered. The Bible says God himself buried Moses. When Moses meets his demise, God now visits Joshua for the first time. Joshua hears the voice of God. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you, Joshua, let's deal with you because you got work to do. What God knew about Joshua was that his normal constitution was to become fearful when faced with something big. God knew that Joshua was given to discouragement. He easily became discouraged. And so I'll put Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 up there for me. Several times now God is talking to him about what he's going to do. And God is telling him, listen, he says, only be thou strong. Be bigger than who you are. And very courageous. I need you to develop a fear management system. All courage really is, is me managing my fear long enough to do what needs to be done. Courage does not mean you don't have fear. 
Yes, your knees will be fellowshipping together. Yes, you're going to feel this apprehension and, and, and trepidation. You're going to feel it. But he said, God says, I need you to be bigger than who you are right now. Be strong, Joshua. And I need you to manage your fear long enough to do what I told you to do. That thou mayest observe. Here's what he said now. He says, be bigger than who you are. Develop a fear management system so that you may observe to do according to all the law. Now, everybody shout the law. The law. The law is God's systematic a consistent systematic rule of order. The Hebrew here is the word Torah. Torah is not just uh, the law of God. Follow me with this. In the New Testament, there's a word. The word is logos. Logos, you get the word logia. Um, the word means to speak or to say. It's a general word for, for uh, in, in the New Testament for the word word. Rhema is the specific word. Logos is a general word, but it's not just a word. It's an idea. It's, a, it's an ideology. It's a philosophy. It's a, it's a way of thinking. You got it? And so um, the word Torah, the law of God, is God's philosophy, his idea, his, his way of thinking, his slant on your situation. So God says to him, Joshua, I need you to be bigger than who you are. Be strong. Manage your fear long enough so you could observe to do according to the slant I have on it. See, I, you see it one way, I see it another. I need you to manage your fear long enough to do it my way. You can be scared again after you get done. But I need you to, that's what he said to him. No, watch this now. And he, and he says, he says, to do a contrary to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that thou mayest prosper with us and without goest. He says what he said to him. He says, on the way to, to, to choosing life, he said, you're going to have what's called right hand and left hand distractions. The right hand distraction are good things that God never intended for you. They, they take your attention. They steal your focus. Good things. Everybody say good things. Yeah, good things. Um, opportunities that God didn't present. Promotions that God did not authorize. On the way to life, you're going to have right hand distractions. He said, I need you to manage that also. Then there will be left-hand distractions. On the way to life, you will be, you'll be hurting. You have some pain. And God said, what I need from you is you have to manage your hurt. Come into my presence. Receive from me what only I can give you so that you're not driven to left-hand distractions and you're sinning just to feel better. He said, you got to manage that. And so he says, I'll tell you what. Here's how we're going to fix you, Joshua. We need to fix you. Here's why we're going to fix you. Go to verse 8. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I want to point out from the verse, it's very, very important. Your mouth has as much to do with meditation as your mind does. Matter of fact, you're going to find from the, the Hebrew word that translates meditate, it's the word, it means to mutter, M-U-T-T-E-R, or to speak to yourself. It's self-talk. God says the words that I speak need to become your self-talk. You, you need to get them in your head and your heart so much. Are you all listening to me? Yeah. Get them in your head and your heart so much that it becomes, it becomes when you talk to yourself, you say what I say. Meditation has to do with your mouth. And with your mind. And so what I want to do is, is I want to get through as much of this lesson today. Say, Pastor, the, the faith lesson really helped me. Is this, is this the same thing? Oh, it is. See, this is how we get the word rooted. What has happened to us, here, here's our faith deficit. The Bible says all things, all things are possible to him that can't believe. The problem is you think because you agree, you believe. No, you, agreement is agree, you agree with God. 
You, you give mental assent. You say, God, well, yeah, I can see how that's possible. And here's how you know you don't believe. When you think it could happen for others, but not for you. You could clap about a person's healing. The person gets sick and God heal them. You rejoice. But when you get sick, you're freaking out. Okay? Now, go in your, go in your Bible. to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Put the amplified version of this just for, uh, to expedite time. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. We have got to come to the place where we understand what meditation is. Meditation. I want to give you this definition and then we're going to, we're going to um, give some, some more understanding of it. I'm going to give you this quick definition, then we're going to break the definition down and just see what, what richness we could get from it. Meditation is a spiritual experience which I initiate that paints the end result of the promises of God on the canvas of my heart. Meditation is a spiritual experience which I initiate. Everybody say, I initiate it. Yeah. That paints the end result of the promises of God on the canvas of my heart. Now, you go to Psalm chapter 1, let me explain something to you that's going to really help you. Okay? Everybody look at me for a minute. By design, you are spirit, soul, and body. In that order. You're designed by God where your spirit should control your soul and your soul controls your body. You got it? Your spirit receives information. Your relationship with God is spiritual. So your spirit receives information, deposits that information into your soul through your mind... Your mind moves on your emotions. Your emotions move out the will. That's why we call them emotion. E emotion. Uh, um, the term simply means to move out. So my mind takes the information. It, it rationalizes it. It makes sense. And it passes it to my, to my uh, emotions. And I feel this thing. I, I get excited about it. And the excitement moves me. And I, I, my will now engages. And I do with my body. So the spirit controls the soul. The soul controls the body. When you came to the Lord before you were born again, most of us were in a position, if we were unsaved but living kind of well, our soul was in control, it controlled our body, and our spirit was somewhere in there. You're just an average unsaved person. The worst a man can get is when his body is in control of his soul and depresses his spirit. So what happens to him, his body will say, go do this, go sleep with that person, go do this. And your body will move you out, your soul will do it, and then you get so depressed spiritually. Think, uh, uh, acting before you think. When you were born again, God woke your spirit up, he, gave it, he actually gave it life. He puts your spirit back in position. Watch this. He marries his spirit to your spirit, so you can't even tell the two apart. Was that me or was that God? You can't tell. The only way to tell is to... Is to or put it up against the word of God and see what, 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 what the word says. He marries his spirit to your spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit influences your human spirit, which controls your soul, which moves your body. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you understand that? With that understanding, now I come to realize that what's in my spirit it's very important because it's depositing this thing to my soul. So you say, well, I'm born again. Uh, and here's another thing also. A lot of believers came to the Lord, and you're still led by your soul. Your spirit has no jurisdiction in your life. The Bible talks about the human spirit being the candle of the Lord. It, you're led. God leads you. But your spirit is led by the Holy Spirit. And your spirit now influences your soul. 
your soul moves your body. How many of you got that? This is what's been happening in your life. You have, you have allowed yourself to be programmed for death, programmed for failure, programmed for disappointment. That's what you do, your, your, your whole disposition, your whole outlook. So I want to show you how meditation is going to change that. How many of you want to hear the rest of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It says, blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans, and purposes. The Bible says, now my life begins to change when I stop taking the advice of ungodly people, people that don't know God. I don't care how, how close they are to me, that we can folk. I don't care what they say. Is that the word of God is saying? If I want my life to be blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable, i got to begin now to walk and live my life, not after what they say, but after what the Word of God says. The next thing, the Bible says that I don't stand submissive and inactive in, in the path where sinners walk. Now, it doesn't say I can't walk where they walk. It doesn't even say I can't walk with them. It's just that, listen to this, when I walk with them, I walk in authority and I walk actively. I always have it in drive. I'm not in neutral. You got it? Watch this now. If, if I walk submissively and inactively or passively, what's going to happen is uh, uh, they're going to influence what happens to me. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching courtesy of On Course with Hart Ramsey. We invite you to join the NCC family for our weekly services in Dothan and Montgomery, Alabama and Atlanta, Georgia. For service times and locations, visit our website at nccfamily.org. Again, nccfamily.org. You can follow Pastor Hart on social media at Hart Ramsey on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can follow our church on Twitter at NCC Family, on Instagram at Northview Christian Church, and on Facebook by searching for Northview Christian Church. Be sure to join us next time as we dive into God's Word and get on course with Hart Ramsey.